Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Hi, Fada. You're on recording with the SheWheel Podcasters. Oh my gosh. You are on the air. What can I do for you? We would like to know how do you, how would you say in French the last name C O M B A Z? Combaz. See, you pronounce the Z. Hey there, and welcome back to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season, we are discussing critics, theorists, and educators. On today's episode, we will talk about Florence Bell Robinson, who was one of the first female professors in landscape architecture to achieve tenure. I'm Lizzie Rahr, excited to start October, the best month of the year, and get my fall baking on leading up to my birthday. And I'm coming to you from San Francisco, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Jessica and Nurjiti. I'm Nurjiti Rivas, recording from Houston, Texas, and looking forward to the MLB playoffs coming soon. Go sports. <laughs> and I'm Woo. Jessica Rogers, getting excited for all of the candy that will be on sale soon, based out of Washington, D.C. It's time for a disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we will all continue learning. All right, ladies. So this week, we're going to talk about a fellow Michigander. That's right. Florence was born in the mitten. Oh, but is she a youper? Uh. I love. Thank you for asking. Uh, she is not a youper. She is a troll, just like me. What? Wait, wait. What? What is all of that? Are you proud of being a troll? Like, what is sweet? I mean, I don't know if proud is the right term, but that's like, that's what we say in Michigan. Like, if you live in the lower peninsula, you're a troll because you live under the Mackinac Bridge, which connects the two peninsulas. And for listeners who don't know, the Upper Peninsula is called the UP, and the people who live there are called Upers. <laughs> oh, he knew there were all these factions. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to fight the urge to call you troll from now on. I would say with love, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, for now, we can say that Florence was a troll. Exactly. <laughs> so on November 1st in 1885 in Lapeer, Michigan, Florence Bell Robinson was born. She was the only child of Dr. and Mrs. William Robinson. Welcome to the world, our dearest troll. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Um, So I wasn't able to find out a lot about her childhood, unfortunately. So our story is going to start when she attends Kalamazoo College in Kalamazoo, Michigan, for a bachelor's degree in philosophy, which she got in 1908. We know Kalamazoo. Shout out to all the Hornets out there, especially to wonderful supporter of this show, Leah Vondracek. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So it might not surprise you, ladies, that Florence was a bit of an overachiever. She wouldn't be on our show if she wasn't. Right. (laughs) Yes. Well, she decided to get a second bachelor's degree in philosophy from the University of Chicago by taking correspondence and summer courses. And she was also fluent in French and German. The more languages you know, the better. Oof. I wonder if she learned those two languages at the same time, because that can be tough. But they are different enough that learning the two can be manageable. Yeah, that's true. Well, After this, Florence moves to Detroit and she starts teaching at various high schools. She taught many different subjects like botany, biology, chemistry, physics, and physiography. And she did that for the next 18 years. So she taught everything but what she got her degree on. What is physiography? Physiography. Physiography (laughs) is just another term for physical geography. Oh, okay. Yes. Well... So while she's teaching, from 1913 to 1915, she decides to get a third bachelor's degree, this time in architecture from the University of Michigan. This lady is collecting degrees like Pokemon. Gotta catch them all. (laughs) (laughs) And then she decides to round it all out with a master's in landscape design from University of Michigan in 1924. She's just gotta catch them all. Yeah. All right. I think we covered all her degrees now. Did we? You know, <laughs> it's it's debatable, but, you know, I think we got them all. This all is right, still the then. beginning. We still got a couple minutes. <laughs> Give it time. All right. Well, but let's talk about what she was doing professionally during this time as well. We know she was teaching high school and she was studying for all these degrees she was getting. Mm-hmm. But from 1916 to 1926, she also had her own small landscape firm that she was running. Oh, okay. She's going to be the very best. The one that's never seen. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, I bet there was no one like her. I know. (laughs) And then to top that off, she also worked as an architectural draftsman for J.W. Case in Detroit during this time. Okay, now. Now she's collecting jobs like those are Pokemon. I know. That's how she do. She did it all, folks. (laughs) Okay, but when Florence is 41 years old in 1926, she makes a career change and she moves to Illinois and she takes a job at the University of Illinois to teach plant material and planting design. Plant material? Is that a fancy way of saying soil? Welcome to Dirt 101. 
Actually, I follow this lady on social media called The Wonder of Soil. It's informative and pretty. She makes art with soil. Oh, that's cute. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. I think plant material is actually like about plant species and how to use them. Not so much about the soil. Ah, okay. Ah, the word we are looking for was leafy. Leafy. Plant material, a.k.a. leafy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) If you know, you know. If you know, you know. Uh, All right. So at the University of Illinois, her first title was Associate in Landscape Design. And the classes that she taught plant material and planting design, they were usually classes that were slated for a female professor versus a male professor and thought of as quote unquote women's topics. Huh. So the silliness of the episode begins. Mm. Yeah. But like, what is that supposed to mean? Like she taught menstruating, breastfeeding, like birthing geography, <laughs> basically all vagina and boob topics. Yep. Mm-hmm. Though I think men talk about that more than we do actually. Ooh. So maybe they're men's topics, too. I don't know. Actually, this is taking a weird turn. Yeah. But interesting. I, I will say that maybe it's a women's topic because it's like gardening or plant material. Maybe. Yeah. OK, fine. If they insist on calling that a women's topic, we'll roll with it. For now. <laughs> yes. So while she was teaching, Florence also traveled extensively and especially in the late 20s and 30s. She went all over Europe. She went to China and Japan and Korea, Guatemala and the Western U.S. All of these travels were a great influence on her teaching, and she developed a really extensive knowledge of Chinese garden design and various plant varieties from all over the world. Ooh, that sounds like fun. Take us trolling with you, Florence. (laughs) (laughs) Troll on. I don't know that that's what we say, but you can you can try and make it a thing. Yeah. (laughs) So she ended up translating an article by a French author, Guibert Combas, titled The Imperial Palaces of Peking. And on her second trip through China and Japan, she brought back a collection of 800 hand tinted glass lantern slides which were an incredible resource, not only for landscape specifically, but also for other fields such as history, sociology, anthropology, etc. Because she also focused on photos of daily lives and traditions of the local people. And many of the places that she photographed were then destroyed by earthquakes or war. And these are some of the few records of them. That's so sad that those places were destroyed. But I guess good that she was there to photograph them and preserve that memory. Yes, time and time again, the importance of documenting continues coming up on these stories. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Julie Morgan. <laughs> like, if, oh, one gripe with her. <laughs> I'm telling you, when I see her in heaven, I'm going to be like, do you girl, have regrets? Like, little girl. Little girl, I have regrets for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about women and the landscape architecture profession and education at this time. So landscape architecture was somewhat seen as socially acceptable as a profession for women to enter because it was maybe more, quote unquote, domestic. Mm. And I think we kind of mentioned that when we were talking about the topics that she taught and those being 
And I think one of you said something about like, oh, gardening. And I think that's kind of it became associated a little bit with that. However, during the 20th century, we see women starting to study landscape architecture and we see female schools for landscape architecture opening up like the Lowthorpe School or Cambridge School, which were created because the Harvard GSD did not accept women. Hmm. This reminds me a little bit of how interior design can be seen as too. Like I would clump landscape and interior as like a mm-hmm. as a female profession, but I still don't get it. Design isn't exclusive to a certain gender. Yeah. Yeah, or in some ways it has <clears throat> been for a long time, which is the problem. Yeah. So I would say design shouldn't be exclusive to a certain gender, but It will continue to be unless we work towards a goal that it's not. Yeah. Well, nothing should be exclusive to any gender. But alas, we are here. Alas. All the show references today. (laughs) (laughs) If you know, you know. Yeah. So the University of Illinois was actually a co-ed school and allowed women into its program. So many women would go to these various schools and then they'd get out of school. And you can probably guess what happened. Ring before spring, get married, and have babies. (laughs) Or no one would hire them. Yes, the second one. So finding work in offices, which were primarily male-run and male-dominated, proved difficult, even though this profession was thought of as appropriate for women. So many of these women went to start their own firms, and they were able to have pretty successful careers. And a few notable University of Illinois female graduates who did this were Annette Hoyt Flanders and Florence Yock, who I know we mentioned on Beatrix Farron's episode. In your face! Also, this reminds me of last week's episode, Carol, because, you know, she started her own landscape architecture firm, too. This is a path many of our ladies have been forced to take. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So there was a path for success for these women who studied landscape architecture by starting their own firm, like we talked about. However, in the professional academic world of landscape architecture, a woman getting tenure, let alone on the tenure track as a professor, was not common at all. And the book I was reading said that prior to the 1970s, they think that University of Illinois might have been the only co-ed university to employ women in a tenure track position in landscape architecture. You know, I don't have those numbers in front of me currently, but I think this can be similarly said today, too, when it comes to academia and not just landscape architecture either, but like in general, architecture, engineering. Really? Yeah. To this day? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's not just women getting tenure either. We're talking about professors of color, too. Those numbers are low. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Florence was the one who broke the mold when she became the first woman to be put on the tenure track at University of Illinois in 1929 when she was hired as an assistant professor. She would achieve the rank of associate professor in 1946 after 17 years And finally, she got to be a full professor in 1951, which was only two years before she retired. OMG, I don't even know how to react to that. That's so awesome, though, despite all of the hardship that it had to be to be the first of anything. And I've heard how hard it can be to get tenure in general. But I wonder if it's the same in other industries or if it's just like a design profession thing. It just took too long. 
It did. Yeah, no, for sure. But I mean, it sounds like she was still 20 years ahead of most women getting tenure, which is kind of crazy also. Yeah, yeah. Well, there wasn't a ton of opportunity for Florence to get much work through her own private practice in Champaign-Urbana at that time. So Florence really focused on publishing and academic work when it came to her knowledge of plants. I'm glad she found a way to make lemonade with life's lemons. <laughs> Quote unquote, plant material you did there. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, get it, lemons, lemonade. <laughs> uh, but yeah, put that tenure track into work. Because the stories that I hear are that tenure professors are those that are heavily published. So, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So actually, when I was looking for information about Florence, I did a search in Google Books to see if anything was written about her. And almost all of the results were her own books that she had published. <laughs> it was all like author Florence Bell Robinson. I was like, no, I want a book about her, not by her. <laughs> <laughs> But she published so many books about various types of plants and landscape topics. There were so many. Nice. That's a cool, humble brag, though. Right? <laughs> Her work. <laughs> yeah. She also wrote many articles for various periodicals, and she created an index system of plants that eventually was made commercially available in 1932. And it was called Deciduous Trees, Deciduous Shrubs, and Conifers. And eventually it was published as a book called Tabular Keys for the Identification of the Woody Plants. And it was used in many other Midwest schools. I don't know why, but that sounds like a cool band name. <laughs> Tubular. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Tabular. Totally tabular. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> why? It was right there. We went there. We went there. Had to do it. You did indeed. Had to do it. So her first major book was published in 1940, and it was called Planting Design. It became a textbook used by universities because there weren't many books published on the subject at the time. And it became the standard book for plant material courses in the U.S., Australia, the Philippines, Russia, and England. Oh, snap. Look how important she became. To have her book be like gospel in universities around the world? I love it. Hashtag goals. Hashtag she build podcast goals. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. She also wrote an article called Landscape Planting for Airports. And so she definitely had some range in her knowledge. This is really neat. My firm works on airport design, and I think we should add that to our list of books in our library. That is interesting. I don't know. I don't really associate landscape with airports, more like runways, but I'm intrigued. This is interesting. Yeah. First, the phrase threw me off. But then I thought about it and I could see how landscape design plays into airport design. Sounds like an interesting topic. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1950, Kalamazoo College's alumni secretary reached out to Florence. Florence wrote back about her career. As for my achievements, they are limited to my profession of landscape architecture. I have been too busy making good in my job here at the University of Illinois to give attention to outside affairs. Here I have reached top rank, full professor, of which I am rightfully proud, and I can say without boasting that I have some worldwide fame, slight though it may be. I have written five textbooks in my subjects, all of which are being used in a number of schools having landscape courses, and two of which have gained considerable distributions outside school circles. 
I like the way she owns her achievements. Yeah, two cha- oh, oh, two, two. All right, but okay, <laughs> let's make beep, beep beep beep. Let's make this a moment to tell our listeners. <clears throat> hey, hey, you listening? You're doing great. You might be struggling in something, but take this time to be proud of yourself because you did the damn thing. Go you. And that's the end of our <laughs> toot, words toot. ever. Toot your own horn. Beep, beep. Okay. Okay, you can go back, Lizzie. What happened next with Florence? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for that. Yes. So as a professor, Florence had intense courses on plant identification and planting design. She used the influence of art in her design approach. And she believed that creative work must reflect unity and harmony and incorporate ideas of simplicity, balance, scale, sequence, and focalization while considering mass, texture, and color. Her background in architecture and science, it sounds like, also influenced how she taught in a more concrete manner and also her belief in the interdependence of building and planting design. I wish I could have been in those courses. Just the way she describes the profession, what it should be about. I totally agree. I'd be like, yes, let's do this. Teach me all the plant things, please. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a mix of reactions from students. Some dreaded her class because I think she was rigorous, but I think some people really liked the concrete content and how it related to the world. And I think she expected a lot of her students and wanted them to succeed. That's fair. I mean, as a professor, you would want your students to succeed. And yeah. if not, you didn't do a good job teaching them. Right. So I don't know. I think I would appreciate her concrete content, quote unquote, though. It's what you need in the real world. But I can see if in school you're taught about theory and the pretty fluffy things that the more concrete and rigorous material can seem like a drag. Well, you can't please everybody. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So Florence was teaching at University of Illinois at the same time as Stanley Hart White, who invented the Green Wall, and Carl Lohman. And all three of them were instrumental in creating this highly ranked landscape architecture program at the university. Stanley White was a much more eccentric professor than Florence was, but students said that the two of them really complemented each other with their styles. And a former student said about the two of them, of course, one can hardly talk of Florence Bell Robinson without bringing into the discussion Stanley White. Between the two of them, I hardly know where to draw the line. They both complemented each other so completely that if you took one away, you would also lose the other. Florence Bell instilled such a love of plant material, and that love was translated into design by Stan White. I suspect that there was never a design I prepared that didn't, during some phase of its development, reflect the teachings of these dear people. She was demanding while Stan was suggestive and pleading. She accepted only excellence and would not tolerate mediocrity. Stan, on the other hand, accepted what the best you could do, and then show you how it could be improved if you really put your mind to it. He made you expand your abilities while Florence Bell Robinson would only accept perfection. She developed the principles and rules which, if followed, would guarantee that only a perfect design would be the result. I'm really enjoying that Florence is the bad cop in this equation. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, it sounds like she was very passionate about landscape architecture and she wanted to mold minds to be as passionate as she was and to lead the profession forward. So that's really great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a perfect combination of learning. 
Yeah, though I could see how some students might dread that class. She might have been too much for some people. Sure. So this kind of reminds me of a conversation that um, that we were having offline about the mental toll that is architecture school of how these professors, they demanded so much from you, whether it was your thought, your execution of stuff. The studio culture was just very toxic where we didn't sleep. We saw a lot of examples of people that it affected them just very negatively. So it, hearing this about Florence, it makes me wonder if that's what the students were seeing. Like was, I mean, I'm sure Florence, she was a great professor, but her demanding nature of excellence, could it have been a, a negative thing for her students? And that's why they dreaded it. But that's yeah. not to diminish her work. No, um, not at all. It's not a conversation. No. I mean. I, I doubt that this was a conversation that was being had then, but I know that it's a conversation being had now in architecture schools and studio culture. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it seems very timely that this is coming up. Yeah, for sure. And I do think, too, it's it's hard to know. Right. Because obviously I've I the quotes that I found mostly were like positive mm-hmm. talking about her rigorous nature with her class. But I'm sure. And I think, too, like we were saying before, like, you can't please everyone in that, like, maybe I'm sure for some people, maybe they needed kind of that firm kind of pushing tough love of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that works for some people. And for some people, that's totally not the right way for them to learn. And that like can affect them really negatively. And so it's hard to say at what level she was at with that and that kind of thing. But I think you're totally right that, um, that has become kind of a thing in the culture of architecture school. I also kind of wonder, like, do you feel like she felt like she had to be rigorous and very specific because she was a woman like that? She couldn't, you know, I don't know, kind of be too soft in that kind of thing, because that would have made her seem too feminine or too um, unfit for the job. Yeah. 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 Not trying hard enough. So that's true. Good point. That's a good point. Yeah, because I could see that. But I also can see like back to her earlier, the earlier comments made that she just wants to breed good landscape architects. Yeah. So yeah, she's not going to say design this pretty whatever. Right. She's like, no, it's make not it out work. of malice. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like she wants the best for her students, but it might not have been the best technique for everyone. So, yeah, true. Yeah. Well. Over the years, Florence would teach several well-known landscape architects such as Richard Haig, Peter Walker, and Hideo Sasaki, who we mentioned on last week's episode. Yeah. Yeah. So Hideo Sasaki said about Florence, Miss Robinson is one of those unappreciated teachers who have had a greater influence than acknowledged. She loved her work. And when a student expressed interest in plants, he could be showered with her generosity. Her book, Planting Design, is a classic. She was a pro through and through, and I admired her for it. I really like that our buddy Hideo is making a guest appearance on this episode again, but this time sharing the truth and such great words about his professor and mentor. Yeah, I like that we are learning about her and her influence on Hideo. I was going to say it's it's cool because like Florence influenced Hideo and then Hideo influenced Carol. So it's great. Each one, teach one. I love it. So in addition to teaching at the university, Florence also gave more than 58 talks to various clubs and groups. And in the 40s and early 50s, 
She did have her own practice and she designed some 30 small gardens. Where do people find the dang time to be so amazing and do all the things? No TV and no Netflix. Oh, gosh. That's what it is. (laughs) But right? There's not (laughs) enough time in the day. Apparently there is. Clearly. Well, I mentioned before that Florence retired in 1953, two years after reaching full professor. She was 68 years old when she retired. Time for bingo? Time Mm. to conquer more stuff. Right. Well, what was I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't find a lot about what she did in retirement, but I think she may have kept giving talks occasionally. And she also became more interested in large park and schoolyard design. Lovely. Cute. Yeah. Florence passed away on August 13, 1973, from a stroke in Hendersonville, North Carolina. She was 88 years old. Wow. What an amazing life. Such a pioneer, so passionate, so published, so distinguished, so troll. (laughs) So troll. Indeed. (laughs) So before we leave you, we have to tell you who our karyotid is for this week's episode. So Jessica, can you remind us what a karyotid is? All right. So for some background, a karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. Each episode, we will choose a karyotid or a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties in the historical woman of our episode. Alrighty. So without further ado, this week's karyotid is... (laughs) Plants, plants. Martha Schwartz. Yay! All right. So Martha Schwartz is a successful landscape architect, urbanist, artist, and climate activist. She's originally from Philadelphia, and she got a Bachelor's of Fine Arts at the University of Michigan. Go blue. And then went on to work on a master's at U of M for two years before transferring to the Harvard GSD to finish her degree in landscape architecture. In 1980, she started her own firm, Martha Schwartz Partners, which is still growing strong today and has offices in Cambridge, Massachusetts, London, and Shanghai. Oh, wow. Go, Martha. Very impressive. Yeah. So Martha is also a tenured professor of landscape architecture at the Harvard GSD. And from what I could find, I believe she is the first woman to be tenured in that department. She began teaching there in 1987. Do you know when she got tenure? 2007. Oh, so it only took 20 years? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's Mm -mm. pretty long. I was reading that a traditional tenure track should only take about six to seven years. So I feel like there's a story there. Is Mm -hmm. there, Lucy? Yes. Spill the tea. Mm. So I initially found an article published in January of 2007. And it talked about Martha resigning from her teaching position at Harvard due to discrimination. (gasps) And she Mm. cited the fact that the landscape architecture department hadn't had a female tenured professor in its 106 years. She eventually rescinded her resignation and was given tenure later that year in July. Mm. Oh, What a comeback. I mean, good for her standing her ground for all the ladies in her field and shame on the GSD for taking so long. Mm -hmm. But hey, 
at least they got there. So kudos, I guess. Slowly but surely. Congrats. <laughs> yes. Glad to see that they finally gave someone tenure, but really, really awful that it took that long. I think the architecture department didn't have a tenured female until 1995 also mm. at the mm-hmm. GSD. So like Jessica said, this is a common problem in academia. So yep. hopefully ladies like Martha and others are paving the way for more f- tenured females. Yeah. They're keeping, they're holding the profession up like That's a character. Right. She's holding Boom, it up. Right there on her shoulders, there right there on her shoulders. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to pay a visit to the Agora this week. So in Greek society, the Agora was the central meeting place of the city where news was shared. We want to invite you listeners to share any exciting news that's happening in your lives so that we can share the excitement and the wins together. Yay, a trip to the Agora! Congratulations to fellow podcasters Janine and Evelyn, who are the hosts of Practice Disrupted, which recently reached 50 episodes. That's so great. 50 episodes. That's such a great like podcasting milestone. So congrats to our fellow Gable Media sisters. Also, episode 50, it's a good episode because our other Gable Media brotherens are on it too. (laughs) So Yeah, and it's such a good show. It's about pushing the profession of architecture forward through new ways of thinking and technology. Listeners, make sure to check them out. Practice disrupted. Congrats. Congrats to share great news from our listeners. So if you have news to share, big or small, please send them to our email, shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Let's celebrate your accomplishments. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Before we say goodbye, we want to say thank you to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Florence and Martha along with our banter and that you were inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. She Builds Podcast is a part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, your landscape architecture professors, your landscape architects, designers, the people that cut your grass. Tell them to give us five stars on iTunes, write us a review, and this will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com, leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Bye! Bye! Adios! Be like a tree and leave! I have to say it. I'm going to say it. I want to do it. So I did it. Negative five and five? Yeah, that's what mine are between. Oh, well, but I also feel like I'm always hot. You're the hottest (laughs) of them all. Yeah. Hottest of them all.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.